Hello. <laughs> okay, okay, thank you. <laughs> you can sit down. That's good, thank you. Man, you guys are excited, happy, it's awesome. I love you too. <laughs> well, really happy to be here with all of you and get to share and um, have some fun tonight. Uh, how many of you have heard me speak before? I was just curious. Okay, yeah. This is like my fan club down here. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, that's funny. You guys are great. Okay, so tonight I'm going to share openly, vulnerably, it's just kind of who I am as a person, as a worship leader, it's who I am as a speaker. I'm going to share with you about something that is a constant happening in my life, something that the Lord challenges me on all the time over and over, and that is living in total surrender. Now, I think that if I'm honest, I thought that when I gave my life to Jesus at 18 years old, that was it. I surrendered. I surrendered. There we go. But then, as I started to mature and to walk out my relationship with Jesus, I realized, oh, oh, I have to surrender a lot. Being a Christian means I surrender a lot over and over and over. And I also realized in this growing that as Christians, we live in a place of constant tension of what we know to be true of God and sometimes what we are actually experiencing. What I mean by that is we know that God is a healer. We know that God can heal, but I'm still sick. I didn't get my healing yet. We know that God is a God of breakthrough, but that breakthrough hasn't come yet. Do you, do you see what I'm saying here? Like there's these times that we are living in this place of tension and we're experiencing something currently in our life that doesn't necessarily match up to what we know to be true of God. It doesn't diminish who he is. It doesn't take away from who he is. It's, it's still true to who he is, but how do we stay in that place and keep moving forward and towards him in that place of tension that we are living in. Is this making sense? And that is total trust and surrender. Right. It's really, really easy to surrender when you are just at the end. Like you are just beat down, laying on the ground, waving your white flag, I'm done, take me home, Jesus. This is how I felt at 5 a.m. this morning when my daughter woke me up crying. Do you want your passy? No. Do you want to get in my bed? No. Do you want to watch cartoons? No. Do you want to go outside? I, no. That was my moment of waving my white flag. I surrender. I don't know. I give in. Whatever. But... It's much harder to surrender when you are not in that place and you feel strong and you feel smart and you feel like you got a plan. This is my weakness, okay? Just ripping open my heart right now and sharing. 
This is my weakness. I tend to be very independent. And I have this thing that will pop out of my mouth sometimes and I say, I got this. I have a friend who told me one time, those are the most evil words, I got this. Because suddenly you are relying on your own strength and doing everything in your own strength. No, no, I don't need you, Jesus, I got this. I got a plan, I'm super smart, I got this, I got this. And I get called out on that all the time. (laughs) Jesus saying, hey Kim, hey Kim, remember that surrender thing we've talked about like one million times? Oh right, I'm doing it again. Relying on my own strength and not yours. This kind of surrender, I call it the brave surrender. The brave surrender because it takes a whole different courage inside of me to step out and to trust God when I feel like I already have a plan. When I feel like I'm trying to take things into my own hands and to do it my own way. It takes a whole different kind of courage and bravery to step out and to surrender and to trust him when I don't know for sure the outcome. Any other planners in here? Like you wanna know what's around the corner when I get to point B, like what's gonna be there, who's gonna be there, what's it gonna be like? And sometimes God's just like, "Uh uh-uh, nope, you're not gonna tell you any of that, just want you to step out and trust me. That kind of brave surrender. So there are three things, say three. Three things. There's probably lots of things, but there's only three things that I want to share about tonight that are keys that help me to stay in a place of surrender. Because ultimately, this is really how I want to live my life. I actually want to live my life in a place of surrender where I am just given to Jesus, trusting him every step, every moment of the day. In reality, I don't actually want to just be taking things back into my own hands and relying on my own strength because I am so much stronger and so much better when I am trusting in his strength and not my own. Anyone ever experienced that? Yeah. Okay, number one, it matters where you fix your eyes. It matters what you're looking at. I'm gonna go to Matthew 14. This is the story of Peter. Peter who I think recognized who Jesus was, the savior, and like us who have recognized who he is in our lives and given our hearts. We have fallen in love with this one. This is a story. I'm going to go to verse 22, 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Peter's ears perk up. Whoa, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus is like, 
Yeah, Peter, it's me. And Peter leaps out of the boat and he is walking on the water towards Jesus. Now, before we go on, let's just stop here for just a moment to consider what kind of crazy person just says, I'm just gonna jump out of this boat and just walk out to Jesus. Wouldn't have been more rational to be like, he's on his way, just wait a few minutes. He'll be here in a second. But you know what? People in love are crazy, crazy. Have you ever been or seen a person in love? Hmm. Wait, what was that? What'd you say? I'm just thinking about you know who. It's been like five minutes since he texted me. Do you think it's okay? People in love, they could like walk out in the street and get hit by a car and their arm falls off and they're like, (sighs) clueless, living in another world. I kind of think this was Peter. Peter's not stopping to rationalize anything. He just wants to be with the one he loves. He just wants to be out there. He's like, I'm not waiting for anything. I just want to be out there where he is. If that's where Jesus is, that's where I want to be. And he jumps and he's walking on the water. But the moment that he took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked around, suddenly reality set in. What did I just do? There is a storm around me. There is wind. There is waves. I am standing. Can I walk on water? I didn't even stop to consider whether or not I could actually do this. And Peter becomes terrified and he begins to sink. And he calls out to Jesus and Jesus just walks over on the water and is like, oh, ye of little faith. Come on, Peter. Just pulls him back out. It matters what you fix your eyes on. He had his eyes set and locked on Jesus. I just want to be where he is. And he's out there walking on the water. There isn't a thing in that storm that is phasing him. But the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked at the circumstances around him, he looked at the storm around him. That's when the fear settled in because his eyes were no longer fixed on the one who tells the seas to be storm, to, to be calm. His eyes were never, his eyes were no longer fixed on the one who brings peace. I learned at a young age that it matters what you're looking at. I was 16, I had my driver's license, and I had a job, because my mama said, you ain't getting any kind of driver's license, you got a job. I worked at Arby's. You know Arby's? Fast food restaurant. Yeah, I loved it. Gained about 10 pounds that year, it was awesome. Those apple turnovers killed me. Anyways, working at Arby's, and I was working the night shift this one night, and where I grew up in Oregon, we got a lot of snow. And we would not see pavement for weeks, for months. The snow, they'd plow the roads and it would just keep snowing and piling up. And it would just turn into this frozen layer of ice that we just learned to drive on all the time because they just couldn't keep up. And my brothers, their job was to shovel the snow in the driveway, but they're kind of jerks and they wouldn't shovel the side of the driveway where I parked my car. And you know, I am a 16 year old girl, like I am not going to go out there and shovel the driveway, okay? So I had this little, like a, what was it? A Suzuki Sidekick. Do they even make those anymore? I don't know what it is. It's like a little Jeep thing? I don't know. It's a little something. Anyways, I'm out there uh, having to drive over these like 
you know, piles of icy snow chunks all the time. So this one night I go out there and I get in my car and I put it in reverse and I back up and I just go, boom, and I just hit and I just hear crunch, crunch. And I'm like, whoo, that's a big old pile of ice back there. Put it in drive, go forward. And I put it in reverse. And this time it's like harder, like, boom. And I go, boom, crunch, crunch, crunch. I'm like, whoo, that is a big pile of ice back there. So then I put it in drive and I go forward again. And this time when I put it in reverse, I just push the pedal all the way down. Just I go flying back and slam again and crunch, crunch, crunch. But then I finally lifted my eyes to look in the rear view mirror for the first time. And it was my father's car. And I was like, and I got out. And I walked around, and all that crunching sound was not ice. That was the front of his car. And I walked inside. Dad, I hit your car. And he's like, it's parked in the driveway. And I was like, it, it's parked behind my car? And he's like looking at me like, how did you not see that there? And I said, Anne, um, I, I hit it three times. And he fell out of his chair laughing so hard. And he like pulls himself up. He's still laughing. And I'm thinking, I'm dead. I am so dead. It's like an evil laugh is what I think it is. And we like, we walk outside and he sees the front of his car just smashed and he falls down laughing again. And he, he did not even punish me. He said, that was so dumb. You're just going to have to live with this the rest of your life that this is what you did. That was my punishment. It worked. I own it now though. I learned. It matters what you're looking at. I didn't lift my eyes. I didn't look. I'm just thinking about other things. It matters where you fix your eyes. And you know what? Here's another really amazing thing. When you lift your eyes to look at Jesus, you don't spend so much time looking at yourself. It's pretty incredible. Suddenly all the things that bothered you or you didn't like about yourself or all the ways that you discount yourself or all the ways that you think that you can't do this or you can't do that or whatever it is, you're not thinking about those things because your eyes are fixed on the one who knows you, who sees you, who loves you, who called you. It matters what you're looking at. The other thing that Peter was moving towards, and this is the second one, the sound of his voice. Peter said, hey, if that's you, he's like, listening, I'm listening for your voice. If that's you, call out to me. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's me. And Peter's like, I know that voice. I know that voice. You know his voice. When he made you, when he formed you, he put it inside of you. He put it inside of the very fibers of your being, your very DNA. He put this inside of you. You know his voice. Why do we question that or doubt that so much? You know his voice. He speaks. And this is the, the other key for me in, in 
Total surrender and living in surrender is listening for the sound of his voice. What is he saying? What is he speaking? And even more importantly, what does he say about me? Because when I'm struggling to surrender, usually it is because I am fearful. I get scared and I start grabbing things and holding on. I want to be in control. I am freaked out right now because I feel out of control. My life is a mess. It is out of control. I am stuck in these circumstances I can't do anything about. I am out of control. And I just start grasping for control because I am scared. So I want to be in charge of something. I want to be controlling something. Surrender? No way. I'm holding on to this. I want to be in charge. Like, let me be the boss. And here I am unwilling to surrender and unwilling to let go. But if I could just stop for a moment and listen to his voice and what he says about me, what he says about my life, what he says about his plans and his purposes for my life, suddenly it's so much easier to let go of those things, so much easier to surrender control, so much easier to trust in what he says and what he promises. I have three kids. They are five, four, and two. My two-year-old is my little girl. My boys are five and four. And when I had um, just my boys, now my boys are 14 months apart, which is insane. Uh, I barely survived those early years, just being honest. But here we are. It's delightful now. I love it. Anyways, that's not the point of my story. The point of my story is this. My boys were little. We were having breakfast one morning outside on our deck. Now, when I say a deck, don't imagine something tall. Imagine something that is the same height as the base of our house. So it's only like a couple feet off the ground. It's in the backyard. My husband was at work, and I'm home by myself in the morning with my two little boys who are both still in diapers. And I go inside to pour myself a cup of coffee, which is the nectar of motherhood and how I survive every day. And I go in, and I don't know how children do what they do in the time frame that they do it. I mean, that alone is evidence that there is a God, because it is a miracle what they can accomplish in that much time. So I'm barely inside, barely pouring my cup of coffee, when suddenly I hear a familiar voice screaming, Mama, Mama, help me, help me, help me, Mama, help me. And I'm full on panic. I've, I've never heard my oldest son sound like this. I've never heard him sound so afraid and so scared. And I went running outside and I'm looking everywhere and I can't find him anywhere. And, I, and I'm saying, Wyatt, Wyatt, where are you? Where are you? And I just hear him going, I scared, Mama, I scared. Help me, help me, help me. And I hear him, but I can't see him anywhere. And I suddenly see over on the ground, crouched down, looking underneath the deck I'm standing on, my other son just squat down, just looking in there, and I was like, oh no. And I run around and I peek in, and sure enough, my son, way over on the other side of the house, had found a spot where, I don't know, a raccoon, something, dug a little tiny spot under the grating and he climbed under and in like a flash, he had walked and crawled all the way over underneath the house to the other side and then got stuck. 
He's only in his diaper. There's all these rocks on the ground that we call lava rocks. They're those red ones that are really sharp. And he's going like this, and he's going, owie, mama, it hurt my feet. Owie, mama, I scared, I scared. Help me, help me. And I'm panicking, so I run over to, to find this spot where he had crawled in. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to squeeze under and go get him. And it's like the size of my face. <laughs> that ain't happening. Okay. New plan. I have heard the tales of the super moms. When something crazy happens, they literally lift a car off their child and save their lives. That's my plan. Oh, She-Hulk, here I come. I'm going to rip this grating off the house. Who? Who? Nothing. Couldn't rip that grating off. I tried. The tales are not true, sadly. At least for me. Anyways. I hadn't had my coffee yet. That's probably what it was. So I think, well, I noticed that at every intersection of this grating, there's one of those, you know, things. And if I go to the garage and find the thing and I stick it in there and kind of push the button and, you know, pull the things out, then maybe I could get, no, this is hurting my brain to even try to understand what's in the garage that I could go get to use on this thing. I don't know. Suddenly, in a moment of panic, when I'm literally about to call 911 because I don't know what else to do, Holy Spirit shows up. The familiar voice, the voice I know. This idea that came into my mind was so crazy that it could only be Holy Spirit. I had just bought my son a Spider-Man costume, and it came with these little Spider-Man gloves. I ran inside, and I grabbed the gloves, and I walked back out there, and I said, Wyatt, look me in my eyes. And he's like, <laughs> he's just shaking. I said, you listen to mama. Are you listening? Yeah. Do you see these gloves? Yeah. When you put on these gloves, you will become Spider-Man. And Spider-Man is not scared to crawl back out the way he came in. Okay? And he's like, okay, mama. Okay, so I squeeze the gloves through the hole and he puts his hands in the little gloves. He couldn't even get his fingers in. He's just wearing them on his hands. And he's like, okay, I'm ready, mama. And it's like, okay, you ready? And I go back around to the side of the house. I stick my face down in the hole and it's like, okay, let's go. And he starts crawling through and he gets about halfway and I'm like, Wyatt, you're doing so good. And he stops and goes, oh, mama, I Spider-Man. It's like, sorry, Spider-Man. You're doing so good. He crawls out. He comes out of that hole and I pick him up and I'm like, ha, 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 don't you ever do that again. I call my husband. Don't you ever leave me again. He comes home that day and he picks Wyatt up and he puts him on his lap. Says, hey son, did you get stuck under the house today? And so quick, Wyatt looks at him and goes, oh, no, Spider-Man did. <laughs> I'm laying in bed that night, still catching my breath. And I felt the Lord <laughs> say to me, Kim, how different would your life be if you listened to the things that I speak over you and I tell you about you? If you just, like your son, like a child, you just believed me. You just believed that you are who I say you are.
If you want to live in a place of total surrender, of constant surrender, you have got to lean on and depend on his voice. You've got to press in to what he is speaking, what he is saying, and let every other voice be silenced. Do you know that when you are holding on to that voice, gossip, slander, lies, accusation, those things cannot hold on to you. When you have already filled your ears and your mind and your eyes with the one who speaks truth over you. That's not just some nice Christian thing to say. I've lived that. I'm proof that that is actually real. Number three, staying in total surrender. Here's another thing that helps me. Worship. Does that surprise you? I'm a worship leader, so yeah, naturally. Worship. Worship requires humility. In worship, we are saying, just like Job, you are God and I am not. It is not about me, it is about you. Worship regardless of the circumstances, worshiping him, fixing your eyes on him, regardless of the storm around you, regardless of whatever you might be facing in your life. That dad I told you about earlier, the one whose car I smashed and obliterated, I wish I could say that that was the only time his car ever got hurt just parked in the driveway, but unfortunately, between me and my other siblings, there was other things that happened, but anyway. He was actually my third stepfather. My parents divorced when I was two, or no, so sorry, four, my sister was two. And my mom married three men after that. The two before him were very abusive. When he came into my life when I was about 12 years old, I was very angry, very hurt, very fed up with being abused. I was done being hurt by men. When he married my mom and came into our lives, I said to him, you're not my father, I hate you, don't talk to me, don't look at me, you're gonna hurt us and leave us like the rest of them, I don't want anything to do with you. I was ruthless. And he was a Christian, he was so loving, he was so patient, he was so kind, he completely transformed our lives. And one thing that he did that both made me mad and extremely intrigued was he would get up faithfully every single morning with the sun and he would go and turn on worship music and he would worship and he would pray and he would read his Bible. And he always prayed his prayers out loud. I'd be getting up, getting ready for school and I would hear him in there crying and saying, thank you God for my girls. Bless my girls at school today. And I'd be so mad and say, why are you trying to pray for me? Why are you trying to love me? Why are you, I told you you're not my dad, I'm not your girl. I would get so angry and so offended. And he was showing me the love of Jesus before I even knew Jesus. He was constantly loving me, pouring out love on me, pouring out kindness on me, pouring out generosity on me, even when I was rejecting him over and over and over. And it wasn't until I gave my life to the Lord at 18 and I started to turn my life around and get healing and get, get kind of rewired from the inside that I began to actually have relationship with him. And it was about that time that he got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. It was a 
horrible, horrible disease that just slowly began to deteriorate his body. And he slowly began to lose the ability to use his limbs, to open his mouth. And still, every single day, he would get up and he would turn on his worship music. When he couldn't turn it on anymore, he'd have my mom turn it on for him. When he couldn't stand up, he would ask my mom to help him stand. He would, I would see him, he, can't, he couldn't lift his arm anymore, but he would get a hand like this and he would just hold his hand up tears streaming down his face. He could not open his mouth to sing or to pray anymore, but he'd still be mumbling, just getting sound out. And I could see him just keep worshiping regardless of his circumstances. His very physical life was deteriorating, but his faith and his heart never deteriorated. He never stopped saying, you are my healer. That is who you are. And he never got offended when it wasn't happening. He asked every single day for 11 years till he went home to be with Jesus. And when that happened, to be perfectly honest, I was so angry and so hurt This was only four years ago. And I, here I am, I'm I'm a worship leader. I have commitments, obligations, places I said, yeah, I'll show up, I'll lead worship. And I'm having to walk up on a stage and sing songs that on the inside I'm wrestling and I'm going, do I really believe this? Do I believe that you are who you say you are? You didn't heal him. And I was so angry and so hurt. And there was this mess and this turmoil inside of me. And I could feel Jesus just standing out there and knocking on the door and saying, Kim, surrender. Let me in. Let me help you. And I just thought, again, that control, that fear. I'm thinking, I cannot let the king of the world into this mess I've made. it, It is really messy in here in my heart. There's a lot of rage, a lot of anger, a lot of pain. There's a lot of really tough questions. There is doubting in there. You don't want to come into that. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Let me in. Finally, when I cannot hold back or hold on anymore, I surrender. And Jesus steps in and he does what I didn't realize he would do. He, he's not angry at me. He doesn't condemn me. He's not like, you're so dumb. Look at you. He's not mad about the mess. He's not mad at my questions, my doubts, my where were you? Why did you let that happen? Why didn't you heal him? He's like, yes, let's talk about this. Ask me all the questions. I can take all the questions. And he just came into the mess with me and held my hand and said, oh yeah, we're gonna get through this. We're gonna get to the other side, but we're gonna do this together. And that happened when I finally surrendered. And you know, one of the first things that he showed me, he opened my eyes to see. (laughs) Felt like I should have seen this all along. But it's like, my dad, he was the first person to show me what worship really looks like. He was my teacher of worship. He was teaching me, like I said, before I even knew Jesus. And if he could keep worshiping 
regardless of the storm around him, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the doctor's report, regardless of the fruit he was or wasn't seeing or anything else, regardless of all of those things, if he could keep worshiping and keep bringing his heart to Jesus, and if he could never be offended at him, then surely, surely I, who is not in that position, who did not have that disease, who is not having to face that every single day, surely I, could worship him. Surely I, in my pain, in my anger, in my whatever it is, I could open my mouth and worship him. And that is a powerful weapon. When we finally take our eyes off of the storm, off of the circumstances, off of the questions, off of the doubts, and we surrender, and we fix our eyes on Jesus, and we turn our hearts to his voice. When we choose to surrender, there are some really incredible promises that Jesus makes to us. Now listen, we don't always know what's ahead. We don't always know what's coming. There are so many times, over and over, probably the majority of the time, that he's saying, leap out and trust me and you don't really know what's out there or what's ahead or what's coming, but there are some things that we can hold on to. I'm gonna go to Hosea 2, 14. This is my favorite scripture. It says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make in the valley of Achor, which means trouble, a door of hope. First of all, have you ever been in a desert season? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Now, maybe I'm a little dramatic, but... When I get in the desert season, my response usually was like, oh, why have you forsaken me? Where did you go, 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 go? I can't hear you, 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 you. Hello, 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 hello. I'm like, did I sin? Did I go wrong somewhere? What did I do? And then one day, I opened my Bible, and what do you know? He spoke to me, and it says, I will lead her into the desert. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you led me into the desert? You, you, God, led me into the desert on purpose? Yeah, on purpose. It's an invitation to intimacy. He's saying, listen, the way that I spoke to you yesterday, that's not the way I want to speak to you today. I'm doing something new. I am giving you an invitation to come out here into the desert and to trust me, to step into something new, to learn to hear my voice in a new way, to see me in a new way, pulling aside all distractions, pulling aside all the things in the way and call you out to a place where all you have to do is just lift your eyes and look at him. And you know, now, listen, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, okay, guys? So forgive me if I don't enunciate this right, if there are Hebrew scholars in the room, okay? Doing the best I can here. In the verse, I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. Some translations say kindly, tenderly, kindly. The actual Hebrew word right there that was originally written is the word liba, which means inner man, 
mind, will, and heart. So he is saying, you surrender to me, you trust me, you step out here, and I will speak to your inner man, to your mind, to your will, to your heart, and I will bring restoration, I will bring redemption, I will bring peace. In the valley of trouble, I will make a door of hope. And it is in every area, your inner man, your mind, your will, your heart, across the board, covers it all. Psalm 23, we all know Psalm 23. It's like the verse probably they teach in every vacation Bible school, right? Like one of the first ones that we learn. I'm gonna go there. Verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Whenever I read this, I always thought, oh, how sweet. Jesus is gonna lead me to a really pretty place by water and we'll just hang out together and it's gonna be awesome. But then I discovered the Hebrew. Guess what it is, guys? The word quiet, quiet waters or still waters, he leads me. It's actually the word menuchoft. I don't know, menuchoft, Hebrew. It is a noun that implies a specific place, which is himself. What? You are going to lead me to yourself. You are the place of peace. You are the still waters. You are the quiet place. I will lead you to me. You surrender, I will lead you to me. The place of peace, the place of rest, where we get to dwell. Now, I'm gonna skip down to Psalm 23 verse four, but I'm gonna read it in the Passion Translation because it is so good. Okay, verse four. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Fear could never conquer me because you already have. When I surrendered to you, I surrender to you. I belong to you. You conquered me. You conquered my heart. My heart belongs to you. Fear shows up. Sorry, this space is occupied, okay? Anxiety shows up. Sorry, no room in here. Depression shows up. Nope, this space is occupied. It all, I was already conquered by Jesus. My heart's already been given to him. Ain't no room for that. You live in surrender. You don't gotta put up with that stuff because you belong to him. Send that stuff back to where it came from, right? When we surrender, he meets us right where we are. In the storm, in the chaos, no matter what it is, I'm gonna wrap up with one last story here. Let me preach all night. I won't do that to you. 
There's this thing in New Zealand called blackwater rafting. Anyone ever heard of it? It's where you become a crazy person and you climb into a cave and you raft down a river in pitch black. It's insane. I happen to be married to a crazy person who lives for the thrill. Before we had children, now that we have children, I'm like, oh, you know, honey, I'll just stay with the kids. Go ahead, have fun. But remember, you have kids, so come back to us, okay? I remind him of this every time he goes and does crazy things. But anyways, my husband convinces me to do this blackwater rafting. And you, you put on this wetsuit, you have a little helmet on with one little light that they tell you when you can use it or not. And you have these like little boots on and then they give you a black inner tube. You know, just like one of those simple black inner tubes that maybe you went sledding down a hill as a kid, but I don't know, we're in Southern California. Do you go sledding here? I don't know, you guys know what I'm talking about? Just a black tube. Okay, well, this is like a black rubber tube. I don't know. Anyway, so they take us into this cave, and right at the very beginning, when we crawl down into this cave, the water is up to here, and the top of the cave is like here. So I had to put my tube on the water and put my arms on and like walk through like this with just this little bit of like breathing air, and I'm like, this is what this is going to be? I'm looking at my husband like, I don't know if I'll survive this. Now, here's the other problem. Before we went in, they told us that there's gonna be times that we'll need to jump in the water and just to follow them, do what they do. And I freak out because I don't know how to jump in the water without plugging my nose. And if I am holding on to a tube, I can't plug my nose. And all the water is gonna shoot up my nose and it's gonna hurt and I might drown. And this is what I'm terrified of. And I'm thinking, I'm going into the cave of doom and I will drown. And they will say, Kim died when water splashed up her nose. It's so pathetic. So we get into this cave and there's times that we're like climbing. And then other times they're like, we get down in this deep water and then they, we turn off our lights and they're like, get in your tubes. And we stick in our tubes and we're like holding onto each other's legs and we're rafting. And there's like rapids and we're like in a river and it's like pitch black and you don't know where you're going or what's going on. And you're like, dear God, help me. Come back now, Jesus, right now. And then the most treacherous part came. We came upon a beautiful glistening waterfall. And they said, okay guys, the safest way off the waterfalls is to turn around and you hang your heels off the edge, you squat down, you stick your inner tube on your backside and jump off backwards. Now don't jump too high because there's all the stalactites, stalagma, whatever they are, coming down from the ceiling. Can't see them, so don't jump too high. Just jump straight out down into the water. And I'm like, come again, excuse me? Jump off backwards into a dark hole and I'm looking down and I can't see the bottom because I'm in a cave with my crazy husband. Um, excuse me, hi, hi. Is there, is there like an exit cave that I can go out? No, you're in this now. You gotta get on through. Okay, okay. And all I'm thinking is, this is it. I'm gonna drown, I'm gonna drown because I gotta hold on to a tube so I can't hold on to my nose, this is it. And hus my husband keeps saying, Kim, just blow air out of your nose. Just blow air out of your nose. Like, okay, okay. <laughs> and I get up to the edge and I turn around and I made him go in front of me because I thought, well, at least he can like, I said, I said, will you catch me? And he's like, no, I'm not gonna catch you. 
I don't know how far it is. He's like, I'll be down there. And I go up and I remember like yelling, Skylar, can you hear me? Hello? <laughs> like nothing. The cave is like swallowing the sound or something. So I turn around and I'm just like, oh, help me Jesus. And I finally do it. I jump off and I, I blow out air. I land in the water, the tube, it wasn't as far down as I thought, which was nice. The tube kind of caught me and I only got like a little bit of water at my nose and it wasn't like too bad. And I was like, oh, oh, I did it, oh, okay, I survived. Yes, I think we're almost done, we're almost done. And then we come upon the mother of all waterfalls in this cave. And it's so big. And as we're walking up to their, like, stop, 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 stop. We're like, okay, we all stop. They're like, okay, now this is very important. It's very important that when you walk up to the edge that you stay very close to the side of the wall here because we will now demonstrate what will happen if you do not. And I'm like, what is gonna happen? There's two guys. One of the guys just takes a tiny little baby step whoop, forward and he goes and disappears, gone. Like I don't even see the top of his head. He disappears into like a water vortex of I don't know, probably coming out the other side of the earth somewhere. And after what feels like 10 minutes, suddenly he like pops up and the other guy's like, and like pulls him out of there. And all of us are like. And they're like, yes, so don't walk over there. And I'm like, okay. So when it's my turn, I'm like. Just speaking in tongues the whole time. I get up to the edge of the waterfall. I did this once, I can do it again. I turn around and I put my heels out and I'm like, okay, here I go. And I jump out and I blow out and then I'm like, I'm still falling. <laughs> and I have to blow out again, but it was too late. The water went shoving up my nose and I thought I was drowning. I yelled, Skylar, I'm drowning. He's like, you're talking to me, it's okay. My point in telling this story is just that I actually came out on the other side and I was like, I did it. I was real proud, like, I did it. I survived, I conquered my fear, I did it. And to be totally honest with you, this is the, the dramatized version, but the truth of how I feel about surrender sometimes. You want me to leap off of here into I don't know what, and I can't hear you. Are you down, are you down there? And just to trust you, and trust that you are gonna be there, that you are gonna meet me there. And you know what? Every single time he has met me there, every single time he has never failed to meet me when I put myself in that place of surrender. And here is the bottom line. He is worthy. He is worthy of your surrender. He is worthy of your whole heart, not just a piece, not just a tiny little chunk. He is worthy of your whole heart for what he did, for what he did on the cross when he chose you, when he chose to die for you. He made you, he calls you, he, he created you. You were created to walk in intimacy with him. You were created to walk hand in hand with him. You were created to, to live in this place of surrender, relying on his strength and not your own. 
Why don't you guys stand up? There's this, there's this word that I've just been feeling just burning in my heart for this generation. Do you guys remember the story of the Tower of Babel? In Genesis 11, it says, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. There, you could go and take a course and a class on how to make a name for yourself. We live in a time, in a world, where that's, I'm just gonna say it, social media. Make a name for yourself. How many likes, how many followers. Make a name for yourself. And my prayer is God, would you tear down the idols and the towers that we make trying to make a name for ourselves? And God, would you stir up and raise up a generation that lives to make your name great? That there is no other name that is worthy. There is no other name that is deserving but the name of Jesus that is above every other name. In Haggai, I'm going to read a verse, but you got to understand, there was Solomon's temple, and it got destroyed, the city got destroyed, the walls got destroyed, and the people knew that they had to build the temple again, and the Lord wanted them to build the temple again. This is where his presence existed, was in the holy of holies in the temple, and they weren't doing it, they weren't building it, and the prophet comes and, and speaks And he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He said, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You, even, you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down t- timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expect much but see it turned out to be little what you brought home I blew away why declares the Lord Almighty because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house give me a generation that says I will surrender to him and build his house I will make 
great the name of Jesus. I will not seek a life trying to make a name for myself, but I will seek a life where I am making a name for Jesus. I am lifting high and exalting his name where I am not running around trying to build my own tower, trying to build my own monument, trying to build my own house, but I am surrendering my life and saying, use me, Jesus. I will give my life to walk with you, to lift up your name, the name that is above every other name. Tonight, if this is your cry, if this is your heart, if you are ready to surrender, if you are ready to lay down the idols, the self-worship, the monuments that we have made for ourselves, if you are ready to say not just a piece, but every single part of me, Jesus, you can have all of my heart. If you are ready to lay down the questions, the, the anger, the rage, all of those things and say, I want you more. I want you more than I want answers. I want you more than anything else because guess what? There is only one answer that will ever satisfy and that is found in Jesus. He is the answer. If you are ready to surrender tonight, I want you to come up to the front. We're going to put an, an act to this. We're going to move to the front. We're going to lift our hands and say, I surrender. My whole heart. All that I am, God. I don't want to live a life trying to build my name, but I want to live my life to bring you glory. Because Jesus, you are worthy. Jesus, you are deserving of all of my heart, of all of my love, of all of my worship. Tell him tonight, come on, in your own words, I will hold nothing back from you, Jesus. I will hold nothing back to you. I surrender the pain. I surrender the anger. I surrender the hurts. I surrender the past. I surrender control. I surrender fear. I surrender to you, Jesus. Shape my heart. Mold my heart. Make me more like you, Jesus. There are some of you in here who, like me, you have, you have been a prisoner to the past, stuck back here somewhere where you were hurt. Maybe you, like me, maybe you were abused. You were wounded, something happened. Someone spoke lies over you. Those words have been rattling around in your mind over and over and over and over. Tonight is the night. Tonight is the night for those chains to be broken off. Your past does not determine your future. Your past does not define who you are. Surrender to him tonight. Surrender those things. Lay down those things to him tonight. If that's you, I want you to speak those words out. God, I surrender my past to you. Come and set me free. The people that hurt me, I release them to you, Jesus. Help me to forgive as you have forgiven me, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, and do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. 
Come and bring healing to broken hearts. Come and bring freedom. Come and break off chains right now in this room, Holy Spirit. Come and move like a mighty wind through this room, Holy Spirit. How we love you, how we love your presence. There is nothing greater. There is nothing greater. There is only one name that is breakthrough. There is only one name that can set us free. There is only one name that can change us. There is only one name that can heal us. There is only one name, Jesus. Jesus, there is so much power in your name. Speak out his name right now. Call on his name right now. Speak it out. There's no greater name. There's no higher name but the name of Jesus. We fix our eyes on you. We lift our eyes. We're not looking at the circumstances. We're not looking to the left or to the right, but God, we lift our eyes and we fix our eyes on you. We fix our eyes on you. Not the doctor's report, not the psychologist's report. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus. And Father, would you come right now and just speak the truth? God, I ask that ears be opened up right now. Ears be opened up to hear your voice above every other voice. Let the voice of the enemy be silent right now in the name of Jesus. Let lies be broken off. God, come and speak identity over your children. Come and speak over your children. Say, you are mine. You are mine. You are mine. You are such a loving and kind father. The Father who never leaves us, who never forsakes us. That you meet us in the storm, you meet us in the mess. Would you come right now, Jesus? Meet us right where we are. It's Jesus.